Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Welcome to another edition of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. And been looking forward to this one for a little while. It's the 20th anniversary of the 2000 Final Four Penn State Lady Lion basketball team. And we're pleased to be joined by the 40-year play-by-play voice of the Penn State Lady Lions. Retired. <laughs> Jerry Fisher. <laughs> do you miss it? Oh, I do. I, I really do. I didn't think I would because my father, uh, Fran Fisher, used to always say to me, you'll know when it's time to step away. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I was doing the games two years ago that I felt that I wasn't as sharp as I could have been. So I figured it was time. But boy, yeah, I miss it a lot. We're going to get into your career and obviously your family throughout this. But the reason you're back this weekend is to celebrate the accomplishments of the 2000 team. How long have you had this date circled on your calendar to get back up here to Happy Valley? Since the day they announced it, and I don't know when that exact date was, but uh, when ML from the staff and Carolyn Keeger uh, sent out emails saying that they were going to do this, I said to my wife, I don't know what you have planned for this weekend, but I'm going back to Happy Valley. I don't know where we start with this, Jerry, because I'm sure you have so many fond memories of that team and so many great memories throughout your tenure with the program. Did you know going into the year that, it was possible for them to make the Final Four. And the Final Four was in Philadelphia, so there were so many connections with the program in Philly. Did you know they had a chance? I'm not sure anybody, since we had never been there before, I'm not sure anybody thought that that was a real possibility. I'm sure the players felt that they could get there. I'm sure Rene Portland and the coaching staff of Michael Peck, Jen Price, and Annie Troyan all thought that they could get there. Um, I made a bet with the team, that if they won the Big Ten tournament, I would shave my beard. And I've had my beard for I can't even remember how long. And I said, and if you go to the Final Four, you can shave my head. (laughs) Well, I never in the world thought I was going to be shaving my head. But unlike you, by choice, I am relatively bald and have been for 20 years now because they went to the Final Four. Going into the year, what kind of expectations did you have for the team? And what sense did you get from the roster and the personnel? It was a very unique group of girls, for lack of a better term. They had Marin Walseth and Andrea Garner as the post players. Helen Darling, who was the Big Ten Player of the Year, um, the MVP, in the, uh, obviously, of the, of the Big Ten, um, Chrissy Falcone and Lisa Shepard, and some quality players backing them up. But that starting five was a team that played to as well together as any starting five that I think I've ever seen here. In your 20 years with the program leading up to that point, Mm -hmm. how would you describe the ascension of Penn State Lady Lion basketball? Well, it started when Rene Portland came here, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, She realized, and that was Joe Paterno's first hire, by the way, when he was athletic director. Rene Portland was his first hire. Might have been his only hire for all I I can remember. Um, But there was, it, it was more than on the court. It was more than just the X's and O's. It was more than how you shoot the ball or et cetera, et cetera. It it was a a lot about being a part of the community, be a part of the community, get involved. Um, There were times when the Jordan Center was full. There were many times when the, uh, when Rec Hall, before they moved over to the Jordan Center, was full. 
And that was a lot to do with the uh, encouragement of the, of the coaching staff and the players to be involved with the community because they wanted the community to be involved with them. So why did the community take to Penn State Lady Lion basketball, especially the 2000 team? Wins. I mean, the bottom line is, if, if you, and I've said this many times, if you win, they will come. But it was a combination of not only winning games, it was a combination of going out and speaking everywhere. The Pink Zone game, uh, and that was before the Play for K, Play for K games came about, mm-hmm. um, which now Penn State plays for. It, it's just, it, it was just an amazing transition to watch in the transition for women's basketball and how it's grown. Did you get a sense that they had unfinished business, or when did the goal for them become Philadelphia, or was it even during the season? I think at the beginning of the season, uh, the coaching staff and the players kind of knew Philadelphia. There were so many players on the team that had Philadelphia roots, Andrea Garner for one of them, and, of course, Coach Portland um, from being at Immaculata uh, understood how important it would be and how great it would be. to get to the final four in Philadelphia that I think uh, it probably started maybe off the record, but it probably started well before the season began. As you go through the season, there are those key games and those swing games and maybe some moments. And as you said, it's 20 years ago now, but do you remember any of those big moments throughout the season where you started to get a feel for the team? They won the games they were supposed to win, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And the, the couple of losses they had were to teams that are legitimate teams. You know, not winning the Big Ten tournament, I think, was a big disappointment for them. And maybe that had a little bit of a, an impact on how well they played in the, in the NCAA tournament, knowing that they fell short in the Big Ten tournament. I think when you look at the roster and the way it was assembled, Helen Darling's name jumps off the page. What kind of season did she have and what kind of impact did she have on the team? She was a leader. <laughs> I, I, she reminds me, uh, mentality-wise, of Susie McConnell Serio. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you put a brick wall in front of her and say, okay, you have to get this goal, but you have to go through that brick wall to do it, they'll do it. Um, I, people often ask me what the most important basket that I recall in Penn State women's basketball history that I saw. And without a doubt, there was no way in the world a 5'8 guard should be able to pull down a rebound amongst a bunch of trees and put it back up and in. And that's what happened in the final minutes, or final seconds, I should say, of the Iowa State Sweet 16 game that got them to the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but Helen Darling just knew how to get things done. Andrea Garner, just a perfect role model for what she needed to do. She could score. She could, she was a great rebounder. Marin Walseth, who, by the way, now is uh, in the radio business, uh, is doing uh, doing very well. Marin Walseth was a perfect four, uh, position four for the team. And then you had sharpshooters like Chrissy Falcone and Lisa Shepard to complement Helen Darling and everything she did. It was just it was, it was just a marvelous team. The best teams, and I think we've seen this throughout the years, the best teams aren't necessarily the teams with the five best players. It's about fit, and you have to have a tenacity and a personality about them. Where did that come from with this team? I think the ability of the coaching staff to get them to work together. Mm-hmm. You know, you make a great analogy. It doesn't necessarily mean the best um, – group of athletes. There was a football team Penn State had here with Brandon Short and LeVar Arrington and 
Courtney Brown and 99. 99. I mean, I mean, you're talking more NFL players on that team than ever, but they fell short. Um, and it takes a, a, and I'm not criticizing Joe Paterno at all. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But there, there are so many opportunities with the up with with the the athletes and the players that you have. If you can make them work together the way they need to work together. You can achieve greater things. How did the staff do it with this group, and what was it about the group where they could embrace that and buy into it? I think a lot of it had to do with the athletes themselves mm-hmm. because you have to buy in. You can't just listen to a coach and the coach says, do this, if you don't have the desire to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I think the desire to make it work was huge for these players and the coaching staff. Uh, was able to work with them and if you know work on the deficiencies and et cetera et cetera and I I just think Penn State at at that time was uh, almost destiny to come on on top. Were they a tight group? Were they a loose group? Did they stay the same? Were there peaks? Were there valleys? They were, they stayed the same. I'll never forget they they always had a mixtape that we listened to on the bus going <laughs> to the away games. Um, and it's interesting because some coaches want it to be very quiet, concentrate on the game, no talking, no noise, blah, blah, blah. But this group, uh, I'll never forget turning around and watching Helen Darling marching down the aisle of the bus because she was so excited for the game that day. Now, this is the year 2000. Is that cassette tapes or CDs in 2000? They were cassettes. <laughs> but the, well, the, the problem was I don't think the buses had uh, CD players at the time. <laughs> Oh, that must have been a sight. Even before the Final Four game. Oh, it was all it was it was all season long. When did you know they had a chance to accomplish something special? Was it until they were the number two seed in the NCAA right. tournament? So they obviously had a great year. But when did you know that they had a chance to to make a run to the Final Four? Pretty early. Pretty, I would say pretty much early in the season, just because of the way they were playing and the and the way they were reacting with each other, um, the way they were finding ways to win games that maybe they weren't playing their best. And to me, that's a, a big key for any athletic team. You've seen it with the hockey programs and um, with basketball and, and, and even wrestling. Sometimes you just have to find a way to win when you're not at your best. And I think they found a way to win when they weren't necessarily at their best. All right, so you get to the Midwest Regional, and that's in Kansas City. Right. Louisiana Tech is the game to punch the ticket to the Final Four. Right. The the greater game was the game before, in, in my opinion. That was the game with Bill Finelli, who was a young up-and-coming coach for Iowa State. And I can't remember the name of the girl who was just an automatic point scorer. Mm-hmm. To me, that was the, big, that was, that was the game because it was a blowout with Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. We caught them by surprise, and they just didn't expect it to happen. I think the win over Iowa State gave them the confidence – that they could go ahead and get to the Final Four. That, that gave them the confidence that, we, hey, we can win these big games. It's never been done before. Let's do it. Um, and they and they did. And and I mentioned the Helen Darling basket. Uh, I believe Andrea Garner missed a, a little 12-foot jumper right before that, and Helen got the offensive rebound. And I've seen the video of it, and I still to this day don't know how she got the ball up and into the basket. So you get to the regional final and... Chrissy Falcone and Lisa Shepard were nailing every three-pointer they took. Helen Darling was dominating. And you know, Louisiana Tech is always a team with great athletes. 
but they just overwhelmed them. I don't, I don't think Louisiana Tech knew what hit them because that game was over. You still played halves back then, but I think that game was over pretty much at the start of the second half. Was that the feeling going into the gym? Did you know it was going to happen? No, because we did not have a whole lot of success with Louisiana Tech in the past. Uh, there were some great matchups in the old days of Susie McConnell and Teresa Witherspoon, and again, I'm showing my age, two of the best point guards ever to play the game. Penn State beat Louisiana Tech in rec hall in that game, but I think a lot of it, I don't know the, the series record between the two teams, but I would imagine Louisiana Tech has the edge. Anytime you can't beat a team with regularity, you always wonder. So what's the feeling as time's winding down in the second half? I know your call is one that I've heard many times, three, two, one, Penn State's going to Philadelphia. What's the feeling? Euphoria. Uh, and the fact that I knew I was going to lose my hair. Um, <laughs> and Andrea Garner and Helen Darling came over after the game was over and rubbed my head as if to say, you're in trouble now, buddy. That call, though, pretty special for you and it, your family. It was. My father, for the first Penn State, official Penn State football national champion, my father, at, at the end of the game, basically went 3-2-1 Penn State's national champions. And I'm sure any Penn State fan has heard that call. My call, when I came up with it about halfway through the Elite Eight game to go to the Final Four, I wanted to pay tribute to my father. So I, when it came down to the end of the game, I said 3-2-1, Penn State's going to Philadelphia, I- imitating him as much as I could. I don't scream as loud as he did, but I tried to imitate him as, bu- as best I could in order to pay tribute to him. What type of accomplishment was it just to make the Final Four? It's the only time they've ever made the Final Four in program history. So what kind of accomplishment was it? Well, you you just hit the nail on the head because it's the only time they've made the Final Four and they've had number one seeds and number two seeds and number three seeds multiple times in the past and were unable to get there. Not to bring up bad things, Penn State was a number one seed and is the only women's team to lose to a 16 seed uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So there are ups and downs, and nothing is a given. You have to get what you get by earning it. Nothing is handed to you. And I think that season, Penn State earned what they got, uh, and they fought and hung in there as, and did a great job. What do you remember about Philadelphia? Since we'd never been there before, we had a police escort. Um, and driving from the hotel to the arena, there were policemen on motorcycles, and there was a, one car that wouldn't get out of the way. And this policeman just pulled up beside this car and pounded on his hood. (laughs) Typical Philly policeman, right? (laughs) So he moved him out of the way, and we went on by. One of the coolest things that ever happened, Colleen Christie was the manager, and Rini and I were very close, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very close. And she said to me, I need you and I need Colleen to go up to room 404 or whatever it was, uh, and and organize some things. And I said, oh, sure, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me yeah. to do. So we walked up, opened up. We opened this room, and Nike supplied six pairs of shoes per kid, two warm-ups, sweatshirts, golf shirts, T-shirts. I, I can't even remember all the stuff, but every kid got all of this stuff. And it was like, I think they called it a magic room or something like that. But that room was unbelievable. Colleen and I walked in there and were uh, absolutely dumbfounded. And it was almost like we looked at each other and said, we in the right room? 
but you know, unique things like that, rewarding the players for their hard work all season was was very special. And, and you go into the game in the first Union Center, and there's over 20,000 people there. It's the largest basketball game to that point ever played in the state of Pennsylvania, largest crowd. Obviously, things don't go well against UConn, but still a hallmark moment for the program and for Penn State. It was, a, it was a, an experience that I would never trade for anything. Mm-hmm. It was an experience that is, is un, unsurmatched. And this is going to sound really weird. I, I think about Connecticut and all the Final Fours they go to. There's a part of me that thinks, oh, God, you got you to get a little numb to that at some point. Yeah. And it loses the specialness because, okay, we're there again. We know what's coming. We know what to expect. And, and yes, I want Penn State to go to the Final Four again. Don't get me wrong. But the unique specialness, if that is a word, of playing in that game and going through that experience is, is really, really special. How did that year set the table then for the rest of Rini's tenure and into the start of Coquise's tenure at Penn State? Kelly Mazanti, you can build right off that, and then Kelly Mazanti comes in and puts up numbers that no one had ever seen before with the way she could score, and she was from nearby in Williamsport. Well, like I said before, wins equal fans, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the ability for, for uh, Penn State to go to the Final Four, all of a sudden the recruiting doors open a little bit better. It's the same thing with football with James Franklin. His his recruiting doors are open better, uh, and you see it in his recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Penn State. Uh, they're able to go out and get the Kelly Mazanis and the Maggie Lucases of the world um, and, and take the program to another level. What was it like calling Kelly's games? Oh, boy. She and Maggie were very much alike mm-hmm. um, because of their outside ability. But the thing, that, the thing that Kelly had on Maggie is I'll never forget down at Maryland, we're down by one in the final 10 seconds of the game, and everybody thinks Kelly Mazzani is going to, take a, an outside shot. Rini posted her up against her defender. And Kelly, little jump hook in the lane, scored the game-winning basket. Um, so the ability to adapt and do whatever's needed was something that Kelly was able to do. 48 points in the little barn out of Minnesota. That was one of the most amazing games I've ever seen. What are some of your other fondest memories and you look back on, on your 40 years calling Lady Lion basketball. Obviously, the reason you're here this weekend is right at the forefront, but what else is there? Just the ability to, and this is going to sound so cliche, and I apologize if it does, the ability to get to know the student-athletes. My wife was killed uh, about 20-something, a little over 20 years ago, and the team rallied around me. They came to me in a special way. It, it was, it was that they wanted to support me, even though I was just the radio guy, they wanted to support me and be a part of my life, knowing what I had gone through. Um, I had a daughter who was in the accident and is doing great today. Times like that, the, the relationship with a student athlete to me is what really makes it all special. But you weren't just the radio guy for Lady Lion Basketball. In 1979, Lady Lion Basketball did not have the coverage it has today, and you were the first one to go ahead and approach the staff and say, I want to do your games. I said to my dad first, because he was still working at the university, I said, what do you think if I went to Rainey and said, how about if I do your games on the radio? 
and he's like, uh, whatever, go for it, you know, as encouraging as he was. So I went into Rainey's office and I simply said, there's no games on the radio. What about, what about if you, would you mind if I did the games on the radio on a local radio station? And this was before the networks Mm -hmm. talked to my boss at the radio station. He was all in favor of it as long as we sold it. And then I did the games. In fact, I, I often say that's one of the reasons Lisa Salters is as good as she is now. She was one of my color people uh, <laughs> it, when she f- first graduated from Penn State. Mm-hmm. When did you start traveling with the team? That first year. You did. But I didn't travel with the team. I put more miles on my little Dodge Dart than I, I drove everywhere. I, I literally got in my car and drove everywhere. A lot of times I would ride with John Portland, mm-hmm. Rini's husband, because they had kids that were in school, so they couldn't leave early. So we would go down the day of a game or drive to wherever the day of a game. And this isn't driving to Minnesota no. and Wisconsin well, back in that day. And, and that was one of the things in the Big Ten, that the, the move to the Big Ten really hurt the fandom, if you will, because there used to be buses that went to all the games, to West Virginia, to Temple, to St. Joe's. Um, I don't forgetting all the, uh, the Atlantic Ten schools. Um but they can't do that now. Now you can go to Rutgers in Maryland, but that's it. Rutgers was another A-10 school, by the way. You know, not only is this the first year in 40 years that you're not with the Lady Lion basketball program, it's the first time in 66 years there's not a Fisher calling games at Penn State. Yeah. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. It's a little – it's – I get emotional sometimes uh, thinking about it, thinking about the old man and how excited he would get – I'll never forget the, I think it was a Maryland game where he was talking about Penn State carrying the ball and so-and-so is at the 40, the 45, the 50, the 55. <laughs> and that's a true story. Uh, I'm not making that up to, to tease him, but that's a real sto- a true story. Uh, did you guys ever do a game together? Yes. We did. I actually did a couple wrestling matches for Penn State. Mm-hmm. One was at West Virginia, and my dad drove down with me and my color person, if you will, didn't show up. I said, why don't you sit down? And it, we did a couple women's basketball games as well. You actually talked more than him. That's the only time I talked <laughs> more than him, to be perfectly honest with you. He, he was a special man. Uh, I can't tell you, I, now that I live in the Tucson area, and I wear Penn State stuff all the time, mm-hmm. and people will come up to me and go, we are, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there's a lot of retirees out there including me, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll have some conversation, and I'll say, do you remember Fran Fisher? Oh, yeah, I remember Fran Fisher. said, that was my dad, and I'm so proud to say that. Do you still tune into Lady Lion Games? I do. I listen to Justin and Joe. Uh, Joe worked with me for the last two years uh, before I retired. Um, I listen to Justin and Joe. They're doing a great job uh, I, because I, I, I want to follow the team, mm-hmm. and the, thank, the Big Ten Network's wonderful because they're having a, they have a lot of – Penn State stuff on there. So what have your impressions been of Carol and her staff so far and the job they've done this year? Well, the first thing that I notice, and I can't listen to every game and I don't see every game, but they're in games. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the year, they're, they weren't quite in games. You can tell that she has things going in the right direction. She's got a great recruiting class coming in next year, along with this underclass, uh, this group of underclassmen that are getting things done now. That, that you you can just sense that things are are going to evolve into good stuff. I'll tell you a story. 
uh, I won't say her name, but a, a significant donor in years past um, to the to the women's program. Uh, I I told the, the the coaching staff this is somebody you want to reach out to, and they reached out to her, and she's coming back in the fold. Uh, as a as a supporter of the Penn State women's basketball program, and that's an indication of the good things they're doing. So before you went to Arizona, you had a chance to meet the staff, get to know some of the, the I new did. staff members. I was coming back after a visit to Arizona to see my wife, who went out there a month and a mm-hmm. half before I did, and I sat down on the plane and uh, to from Chicago to here, and I still have my Lady Line bag tag on my backpack, and I did at the time. And this young lady sits down beside me or sits across the aisle from me and says, are, are, are you have something to do with Penn State women's basketball? I said, yeah, I'm their play-by-play announcer. She reaches her hand out and says, hi, I'm Jenny Bogus. I'm the new, one of the new assistant coaches. So we had a long conversation about, you know, just being, being community involved and, and going out there and, 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 and nurturing the fans. Hey, you've seen it over 40 years. What makes the best teams? What makes the program so successful? So what is it that you would, you would say to anyone who, who's following Lady Lion basketball about what would it take to get back to the Sweet 16 or back to the Final Four maybe for the second time? Well, talent, number one. Without a doubt, it's got to be talent. And I don't, I don't want to cast dispersions on any anyone yep. but the the intensity and the enthusiasm that is seen from Jenny Bogus, Carolyn Keeger and the rest of the staff is infectious and i think the the community can feel that the people that go to the games can feel that wins attract fans and i know i've said that ad nauseum but i think once they start putting some wins together which is going to happen i have absolutely no doubt that's going to happen once they start putting some wins together, I think you're going to see a very populous Bryce Jordan Center. Well, Jerry, it's great to see you again. I know I truly enjoyed the years that we got to work together and the friendship that we have today, and it's great to see you back here. Brian, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to relate some stories. And Jerry Fisher, the longtime great play-by-play voice of Lady Lion Basketball, joining us on this episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Fans, if you like what you heard here today, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We'll talk to you next time on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's go state the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.